They say that in the case of mysterious deaths, the first 48 hours are critical. If investigators can't make a breakthrough in that time, their chances of resolving the case are greatly diminished. But what if they don't make a breakthrough in the first 48 hours? Or the first 48 days? What if you don't make a breakthrough in 48 years? Welcome to the mysterious case of Fred the Head and one of the UK's most baffling unsolved crimes. Episode 33 Dental Fundamentals We left episode 32 primarily thinking about Bible John an idea sparked by a conversation Ian had had with David Atkins about a possible connection between Fred and the Glasgow serial killer known as Bible John but in this theory Bible John is not the perpetrator he's the victim now, on the face of it, that does sound very far-fetched. But certain things seem to correspond. Firstly, the appearance. The age, the hair length, the hair colour, the well-kept fingernails, the build, the approximate height. They all match. And of course, Bible John stopped murdering people in late 1969, exactly at the point that we think Fred was killed. Coincidence? Probably. But a factual coincidence. And we know serial killers only really seem to stop when they're either incarcerated, dead, or somehow completely prevented from continuing their crimes. One of those three things must have happened to Bible John at exactly that time. We also know that Bible John had distinctive teeth. It's mentioned by witnesses who saw him fairly close up. He had overlapping teeth. He had a gap visible in the upper jaw. Now, unfortunately, because no one knows who Bible John actually is, there are no photographs to compare it to, just the recollections of people. And although those statements were taken at the time, witness statements can be unreliable. For example, in the Bible John case, the height is given anywhere from five foot eight to six foot. But the fact that distinctive dentistry was mentioned at all by witnesses is interesting because that corresponds to Fred, who we know had distinctive dentistry with a clear underbite evident in Fred's skull. And it's with dentistry that I want to start this episode. We're lucky to have access to Josefina Narge, who's been extremely helpful on all our cases. And before we speculated too far on Bible John, I wanted to get her assessment of the teeth described by witnesses and the comparison of her knowledge of Fred's dentistry. So, in her opinion, did they match? So, Josefina, lovely to see you again. You're about to go on your holidays, aren't you, I understand? Yes, so that's true, tomorrow. <laughs> well, I'm glad I've been able to catch you before you went. Obviously, what I'm keen to understand is I've sent you the mock-up images of Bible John, and you've Jeez. obviously seen the information and the pictures and the skull of yes. Fred. And I'm interested as to whether you feel 
there's any similarities there or what what we should be looking for in comparison there? Okay, so I've read the witness accounts and I've seen the mock-up and I was pretty convinced after a few minutes that this is not Fred. First, um, because uh, both witnesses are telling about front teeth uh, which are overlapping. And well, we have to believe two witnesses, right? And mm. if Fred had perfectly straight upper front teeth. Right. So uh, that's just one thing that I can, I can say it's not Fred. These are witnesses who spent a considerable amount of time with Bible John. So one of the things also in the uh, reports is about a missing tooth. And we know that certainly in part of Fred's history, there was a missing tooth on the upper jaw. So right. any, any thoughts on, on that? I read the witness accounts and they said it's, uh, it was a missing tooth on the upper jaw on the right side. And uh, they did not say which one, but on the right side. And if we have to believe again, this witness account, it couldn't be Fred because Fred had that missing tooth on the left side. I suppose there is the chance of people confusing their right and his right. But if we are assuming that they've got that straight, those missing teeth are on the opposite sides of his face. Yes. So that sounds fairly straightforward. The other thing I guess to, to mention is you believe, and I'm sure you're right, that because of the underbite, the underbite would have been very noticeable in someone's appearance and the fact they didn't mention an underbite or any any kind of facial deformity caused caused by an underbite when they've spent that amount of time and noticed these other very specific things about him would also well lead me to believe that because they never mentioned the underbite that's again unlikely to be fred would would you agree with that i would absolutely agree with that i mean uh... If, if a witness would see an underbite and he uh, wouldn't know how to describe it, he would say, okay, he had a really strong chin or a chin that was like very much forward positioned, or he would look at his profile and say, well, that, that looked um, very strange. Um, but the witnesses said nothing about that. And you don't believe that the overlapping teeth that they talked about could be overlapping the lower jaw overlapping the upper jaw do you think that's that's a complete red herring there's a slight very very tiny uh, possibility that uh, just the witness could not describe it but to be honest two witnesses said overlapping teeth yeah. so i mean two of them one okay uh two very very certain uh, that uh, it's the same thing they're talking about Okay, well, that's clear. And I'm really grateful because obviously one of the benefits of having access to you, Josefina, <laughs> you always give us a straight answer. You're very kind. Thank that. you, Ken. <laughs> so you have a fantastic holiday. I'll see you soon. See you soon. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. So that's pretty clear. It doesn't absolutely prove that Bible John and Fred are not related, but it's a very strong argument against it. Now, why is it not absolute proof? Well, because we're not actually comparing a skull to a skull. We're comparing the description of someone's face with a skull. So it's apples and pears rather than apples and apples. But if we've got a balance sheet of 
proven on one side and disproven on the other, well, we've got to put Josefina's verdict very firmly in the column marked disproven. Now, one of the things that made us interested in Bible John was a report from the time, in fact, dated the end of August 1970, that seemed to indicate there might be a chance that Bible John was in Derbyshire. I thought it might be a good idea to read that to you. So this is from the Derbyshire Times, end of August 1970. It's a little bit late for Fred, because remember, he's found in March 1971, and he needs to have been in the ground sometime. It just about works, but it's right on the edge. And it says, The hunt for Bible John today switched dramatically to Derbyshire, after a letter was received by the Glasgow police. The letter suggested that there was a similarity between the new photofit picture of Bible John and the identikit picture of a man wanted in connection with an assault in Derbyshire. A spokesman for Glasgow CID said today, the letter containing a cutting of the identikit picture from the Derbyshire Times, he is a bit full in the face for our man. The letter was among more than 20 received since the release of the new picture of Bible John at the weekend, and well over 100 telephone calls have also been received by Glasgow Police, including one from Torquay. The hunt for the man nicknamed Bible John is now in the 292nd day after Mrs Helen Puttock, 29, was found strangled in Earl Street, Glasgow. So, that's what's in the Derbyshire Times. That's all that's in the Derbyshire Times. But it is a link between Derbyshire, now we don't know where in Derbyshire, and Bible John. So we couldn't ignore it. Ian, of course, has been spending quite a lot of time in this particular aspect of the investigation, Bible John. So I wanted to speak with him, particularly in the light of Josefina's view, and just to see how he was feeling about the chances that Bible John and Fred are related. I have to admit, I am something of a sceptic about this link. Hello, Ian. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing great. I'm doing great, Ken. Thank you very much. Uh, but bad news about Newcastle last night with Liverpool. I mean, that was horrible, wasn't it? Oh, that was just so harsh. I wonder how they scored in the 98th minute when there was only five minutes of injury time flagged up at the end. But, you know, what can you do? I'm glad you got over it quickly anyway. <laughs> uh, uh, right, so obviously I've just had a conversation with Josefina and Josefina's been pretty clear. She's saying, no, this isn't the same guy. He's, he's got too many things that don't match dentally. There's a pretty strong argument for saying, well, let's just, let's just ignore this. It can't be right. But, I mean, what's your view? Because, I mean, you're much closer to it than me. So what's your thoughts on, on, on where we go from here? Well, is Josefina's ruling it out because the description of the teeth of Bible John doesn't match with the teeth in Fred's skull. Yeah, that's all she's got to work with, isn't it, really? I know, and it's useful that she can she can put that bit in, and I, and I take that point. I, I would say that it's interesting, but it's really only peripheral to, to some of the main reasons why I thought we should pursue this. The prime one, Ken, is that Bible John has killed two people, August 69, October 69, he just stops totally. The perfect, perfect time for him to have travelled to Derbyshire and been killed himself. I think that's there's got to be an explanation for why he stopped. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. 
also what i was quite interested in at first is the general description from the sister after the third murder really there were a lot of things that tied in with what we know about fred the color of the hair the short the length of the hair the nice fingernails looked after um and yeah you know she said he was quite tall but but I'm looking past that because the bouncers thought the guy that she went with was only five foot six, five foot seven. I think there's just an inherent unreliability in an eyewitness remembrance. Yeah, I was reading something on that that might have a bearing on that. And one of the reasons why she said she remembered her teeth was that she he was quite a bit taller than her. And she was kind of, her eyes were at, at his kind of mouth level. Right. Now, that implies to me that she was quite short. And I get the impression that shorter people find it difficult to estimate the height of people who are much taller. And very tall people have difficulty in estimating the height of people much shorter than her so I, I imagine there could be quite a wide range of those heights that actually are true yeah uh, i don't think we can be definitive and say he was a tall man because as someone who was much shorter you know, was was estimating his height i agree and um, so i take the point that uh josephina's making and she's of course she's absolutely right if if the teeth were recalled exactly as they've been described. But um, I don't think it's enough to rule it out, not when mm. there's so much else on the other side, which makes it very interesting. And, of course, there are DNA samples on of both that could be compared to rule him in or out. Yeah, yeah. I, no, that's true. The other thing uh, I've, in fact, just gone through with the listeners is the report in the Derbyshire Times in august and now that's interesting because clearly somebody at the time thought bible john could have been in derbyshire i mean that's big that's big in relation to the connection with with fred we don't know where in derbyshire but one of the things i'm interested in the reason that person in derbyshire was connected to bible john was because of there'd been an there'd been an assault in derbyshire which seemed mm. though we don't know the details maybe to match with Bible John's attacks. And there's this weird gap in Bible John's activities that from which is a which is a huge haystack for me yeah. to look for a very small needle that I have spent the last two weeks, three weeks ferreting around and getting absolutely nowhere. You're right. There's a big gap for a serial killer between his first and second kills in Glasgow. Yeah. A big I, gap. I don't know if he's somewhere else other than Glasgow, but that's what I've been trying to find. And secondly, if he left straight after the third murder in October, and we think that he's come to Derbyshire and Fred and Fred the Head is buried, I don't know, August, September, 1970-ish. Sorry, there's another nine months there, which is the other huge haystack that I've been hunting for a needle in. Uh, to try and find something other than this one attack that we can't find the details of, uh, to, to show that that he might have been active in Derbyshire in the intervening period. So the um, so the, the key thing there is that in fact there are two gaps here that we're mm -hmm. interested in: February sixty eight to August sixty nine, eighteen mm -hmm. months, and 
November 69 to summer or August, let's say, 1970. Correct. Uh, after which it's too late to be Fred. Yeah. But, so those two gaps are of interest in relation to Bible John. Now, because, and they both could be dates that are relevant to Fred. If we're not going to rule this out at this stage, and I think you're right, I think it would be foolish to rule it out at this stage. The bits we need to do next is look at those gaps of Feb 68 to August 69 and November 69 to August 1970, just to see if there was anything going on in Derbyshire that could in any way be related to to Bible John's MO. Well, I think definitely the second period you're talking about, absolutely. I think the gap between his two first and second killing in Glasgow, he could have been anywhere. Yes. He could have yes. left Glasgow for 12 months, 15 months, and there could be something wherever he went to. That doesn't even need to be in the UK. So, as I say, a huge haystack. But uh, interesting to go and hunt through, nevertheless. But the, the reason I think it needs to be kept open is that we know that uh, they've got the mitochondrial DNA for Fred. And in researching the Bible John story, I know they had a, a sample of his DNA. I don't know if they're coming to get me. Can you hear that? I think that might. Is that your end or my end? Yeah, no, it's my end. Thank God for that. They'll never find me here. Yeah. Um, We've got the DNA on the on Fred's side, and they had a sample of DNA which apparently is no longer um, valid for Bible John. But they've got the results of that, mm, which could mm. be compared. They they also have traced a person with an eighty percent match to the Bible John DNA that they think is a product of an attack that he carried out where the victim wasn't killed. So that there's there's DNA on the Bible John side, which could be compared to Fred. And that would that would rule him in or out. Now, to that end, I've tried to get um, Police Scotland interested to do that, because they're obviously looking into the Bible John case. And I've got to thank uh, uh, one or two of our secret agents, but in particular, Laura, Laura mm -hmm. White, um, who has left a message and had a conversation with them and followed up cheekily to say, well, you should contact us. And the last message she had was that they were going to contact us to get more information. I haven't heard anything from them yet, though. Mm. But perhaps they're waiting until this podcast comes out to see if it's worth giving us a ring. Yeah, that makes... Well, hey, it would, of course, make sense to, to be in contact with them. And, and thanks, Laura, for doing that. I really appreciate that. I think the case for them making the connection between Bible John and Fred would be even more powerful if by some miracle we found someone with a similar MO in Derbyshire in either of those two dates. And I think I think if we could then present that and say, actually, do you know, there's, there's, there's been a very similar case, April 1970 in Buxton or wherever it is in Derbyshire, that would make it a very powerful argument why they should start linking those two things. If it doesn't exist, it doesn't exist. But if it does, it'd be great to find. Well, I agree. And the fact is, one of them, there is one that exists, isn't there? There's the one yeah. that turned up in the paper with the EFIT that was 
referred back to to Glasgow, who just sort of dismissed it with, what did they say, that this this guy's a bit too full in the face. face. They were inundated with people. So it's very easy for them just to say, no, no, yes, no. You know, I can imagine it being a a very cursory process. Yeah. Well, I get that. But, I mean, you know, if we could find that article with more detail in it and do some research into that, Sounds like a plan. I think that's the natural next stage on Bible, John. I mean, I have to say, I'm still to be convinced on the link, really. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't go and put all, you know, all our efforts into driving that further forward because, you know, one breakthrough and suddenly I'm right on the other side of it. Uh, where are you on it? Well, I mean, I'm, I, you know, I'm open-minded, I think, but mm. I am quite... I know it's probably because I want it to be, but you know, I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe fifty-fifty, or possibly mm. forty-sixty against. Mm. But I'm, I'm interested enough to think it's worth pursuing. Possibly because, as I say, the police Scotland have got a DNA result that they can compare and rule him in or out very quickly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So let's work on that basis. We're not gonna, we're not gonna draw a line under it at this point. We're definitely going to put some more effort and resources into trying to find some other things that might be relevant, and we'll see where that takes us. I'm on it. Brilliant. Thanks, mate. See you soon. See you later. Thanks for listening to the podcast. To our new listeners around the world, wherever you may be, welcome to the family. I hope you enjoy the journey that we're all on. As always, please do me a favour. Share the podcast far and wide, friends, colleagues, That's generally how people discover the podcast. And the more people who know about it, the best chance we've got. And if you can, review it on the platform. That again, raises the profile of the podcast around the world. By the way, if you want us to upload the podcast to any other platform, please let us know. We'll do it if we can. And you can contact us on that or anything else at fredtheheadpodcast at gmail.com we love to have your feedback we're very much all part of the same team you are a key part of this investigation over the last few weeks I developed a thought that was nagging away at me and I had to try to get to the bottom of it but first I wanted to go back to the worry list Joe has been hard at work digging through marriages from Nottingham and Leicester to try to identify marriages of European males who, on closer inspection, seem to disappear from the record. So I needed to catch up with Joe to get an update on her progress. Well, hello, Joe. Always lovely to speak to you again. And uh, you've got had some exciting news, haven't you? Because you've had a new grandchild. I have. I've got grandchild number two now. I've got baby Kate Audrey, who is a sister to toddler Jean. Ah, oh, that's fantastic news. And uh, uh, hope uh, mother, baby, family are all doing fantastically well. And therefore, I appreciate you all have had other things on your mind over the course of the last couple of weeks. But I'm really interested in terms of how you've been getting on with the worry list obviously we were i think we were looking at nottingham and leicester weren't we and yes. uh, just keen to get your view on that if you've been able to do any work on that uh, how it's looked yes i mean it was interesting because um 
So I, I looked at Nottingham and Leicester like you asked. And um, we ultimately identified about for Nottingham ballpark park number of about 50 to 60 Eastern European uh, marriages in the sense that the, the, the man had an Eastern European name yeah. uh, and for Leicester less so uh, about 35 to 40 okay um, and yeah. this is in our window isn't it this is in our window of the the last quarter of 68 to the first quarter of 1970 yes absolutely cool okay well what was strange was unlike when we previously talked I ruled near 99% out I really okay. was finding I was finding evidence that these men weren't Fred in the sense they were still around or they were born (laughs) here or they were there was evidence afterwards absolutely any of those that's what I'm looking for okay and uh, so a bit disappointed really yeah you know because you always you you want to find Fred don't you um and but then so if I can just go over the two and it's astonishing really that he's just two it's um, great news that it's only two, in the sense of good that we can rule these other ones out, because it means that we can focus on these ones that's more difficult to rule out. So, so yeah. yeah, take me through those two. Just give me an idea of who they are. I mean, neither of them are strong. Now, the first one, it, it, I find it's very complicated for me to get my head around him. Mm. And it, I, this is why I've kept him on, because I did keep returning to him. Um, in Nottingham in 1969, mm-hmm. um in the second quarter, 69, mm-hmm. um, Henrik Karvalski married Agnieszka J. Trebiostovska. So Agnieszka Tre- Trebiostovska. Now, he's got, that is a Polish name. It, it isn't. That, whatever you've said there, they probably don't recognise that in Poland. Trebi- ah, now let me do um, her name again. T-R-Z. Yeah. Um, Trezbiatowska. Trezbiatowska. Okay, but okay, he, okay. But okay. his his name, Karwalski, K A R W O W S K I. Yeah. Um, from my research, that does definitely seem to be a Polish. 100 percent that's a Polish. Yeah. Whether Agnieszka was, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, it is. Now for for him, I don't find a British birth record. Okay. Mm-hmm. They don't appear to have any children. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, Ken. There's a death record in Nottinghamshire in 2006 for a Henrik Jan Kowalski. Now, that sends warning bells to me because normally marriage records are pretty precise with the middle names. So I couldn't mm-hmm. be sure that was. Is our the Kowalski spelt the same way in the death certificate? Yeah. The marriage certificate? It, it is spelt the same way. I think I think it's in there. Do you? Um, there, there are also burial cremation records from a Henrik, uh, specifically Henrik with no Jan Kowalski in Poland. I don't find any further record of Agnieszka. Uh, the thing is, it's possible he was first married to somebody called Phyllis Curry in 1959. If so, he's not Fred. He, this isn't a strong candidate. There's going to be a lot of Henrik Kowalskis in Poland, dying. That I can't imagine being a particularly common name. It is uncommon in Nottinghamshire. And if we've got a death certificate for someone in Nottinghamshire with Henrik and Kowalski yeah. spelled yeah. the same way, I'd be pretty certain that's him. 
Okay. So uh, that was a weak one. The second one is so interesting. Again, I think you're going to say we, we will rule him out. Mm -hmm. I just find him so interesting. Uh, now, this is Nottingham 1970, second mm -hmm. quarter, second mm -hmm. quarter. Edmund Ivaniak, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is probably a Polish surname. He marries mm -hmm. Margaret Foster. Now, I think she was born in Nottingham in, in 1945. Mm -hmm. I can't find a birth record for him, so he's probably an immigrant. Mm -hmm. I can't find a death record for him or any mention on the electoral. I can't find an application for naturalisation. So I start, you know, getting warning bells. I can't find any children. Mm -hmm. But now here's the thing. Here's the thing. He was alive, absolutely, definitely, in October 70. So you're going to say rule him out. How because, do you know he was alive in, in that? Oh, it's so interesting. Um, there's a newspaper report where he gives evidence. And there he's going by the name Ivan. Okay, Ivan Ivan Ivanik. Ivan Ivan Ivaniak. He's going by, and it's definitely him. Okay, he's giving evidence about. How do you know it's definitely him if he's got a different name? Sorry, to ah, he's talking about his father-in-law's death. Um, his wife Margaret Agnes Foster is uh, is talking about her dad, who committed suicide. And he gives evidence saying, yeah, he was a depressed man. So know. the reason you know that Ivan Ivaniak and Edmund Ivaniak, the same person, is they're both married to the same woman. Absolutely. So gotcha. he goes by two names. It's interesting. Okay. But the problem is, here we go. He is alive in October 70 because that's when he gave evidence at the inquest that the father-in-law was very depressed. Yeah, it's very late. For Fred. It is. It's too late for Fred, really, because I don't think the, the body could, you know, decompose uh, in decompose that, to that extent. Really late, yeah. Well, yeah. hey, I think it's he's an unlikely one if we if we think he's but you know, he does disappear. I wouldn't I wouldn't absolutely rule him out, but I think I think we've got better candidates than him. We do. Thing is though, I find Margaret very interesting because she starts advertising as a childminder in 71 and a disc jockey in 72 and you know so i'm wondering you know has he disappeared oh. i don't i just find i just find it intriguing that's all i'm not going to let go of him but october 70 is is late. is late yeah well yeah i think you're right about that let's 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 put him in there Let's put him on the worry list, just in case. Just yeah. in case. And I think Margaret might still be alive. So if we ever think, well, should we really follow this up? You know, we could always try to. I'm on the edge of ruling him out, but I'm not going to rule him out. I think we should put him on the worry list. Now, the great news, Joe, and the amazing thing you've been able to do in Nottingham and Leicester, big conurbations, and to have extracted one person from that who is, is of interest, isn't it? Brilliant, brilliant effort on your part. And considering, you know, you've been looking after your daughter while she's been having a baby at the same time, that's just miraculous. Yeah, but it is interesting. There's no denying. I'm just surprised that I 
just didn't get anybody for Leicester in the end. You've uh, you've done a brilliant job. So our worry list now, I think, is about nine people long, isn't it? That, that's yes. Good, yeah. Well, thank you, Ken. Well, no, thank you for uh, another brilliant set of detective work that you've been doing and we'll uh, we'll catch up again soon but that's that's really useful this is going to be an ongoing process this as you know oh, and yes. uh, at the end of it we'll take a big deep dive into the dozen or so that we have at that point in time but joe thank you so much and uh best wishes to uh little is it kate Yes, Kate Audrey, she got named after um, two sets of um, great-grandmas, actually. So it's a very, very nice uh, name. Well, thanks, Joe. Really appreciate it. Bye-bye, Ken. I was lying in bed a couple of weeks ago and I had a thought. No, stop it. A thought that had been kind of triggered by this Bible John investigation that we're involved with and this theory that Bible John may have been in the forces. Now that was a theory at the time that people suggested because of his neat appearance, his hair length that was shorter than the norm for the time, his tidy fingers, fingernails, the fact that nobody local seemed to know him. He was a stranger who'd suddenly appeared in their midst. Now, thinking laterally, if people thought Bible John was in the forces for that reason, wouldn't it be reasonable to think that might apply to Fred? Could the inability to track Fred, the lack of people that were missing him, even the lack of dental records, not only be suggesting a recent immigrant to the country, but maybe a UK person in the forces with no fixed connection to Burton or anywhere? Could the inability to track his dentistry through National Health Service dentists be explained by his dentistry having been conducted by the dental services in one of the armed forces. That's the thought I had, and I developed a bit of a bee in my bonnet about it. But how could I work out whether Fred's dentistry was UK Armed Forces dentistry? I really needed to speak to someone who had worked in dentistry in the armed forces. Well, Facebook, as is often the case in this investigation, was my friend. I found a group called RAF Dental Branch. This was a group obviously populated by people who had worked in the dental branch of the RAF. I joined and immediately posted a rather large post about the Fred case and happily that seemed to garner a great deal of interest in that group. And I had some fantastic answers, both to that post I'd put up and my follow-up questions. One of the first points that was made, and was made by quite a few people, is that when the RAF or any of the services made dentures for their servicemen, the service number of the individual was actually embedded into the acrylic resin of the dental plate, specifically typed on a foil sheet and then included in the acrylic. One of the respondents actually described how he used to do it. Now that presumably is for two reasons. One, if you're in a hospital in the services and your teeth get cleaned, you want to make sure the right person gets the teeth back. But also, of course, it's a means of identification for people if the worst was to happen. 
I posted on that group pictures of the dental plate and of the dentistry. And I got a particularly detailed response from a man called Keith Francis. Now, Keith was a general dental practitioner, both in the NHS and in the RAF in the 1960s. And he was one of the first two dental members of the RAF aviation pathology team whose task was to identify victims of major air disasters. So Keith knows his stuff. Now, he wrote me this. With the gingival margin restorations, gingival means gums. So with the gum margin restorations, the bone recession and the number of missing teeth, this man must have had poor oral hygiene. It would seem that he had extensive treatment involving extractions and probably provision of both upper and lower partial dentures. He seemed to continue to wear the upper denture as it carried the missing upper left canine, but he left out the lower denture as it was difficult to construct a comfortable, stable lower partial for his dentition. He had a class 3 occlusion with the lower incisors occluding in front of the uppers, so his chin would have been prominent. Now I've never mentioned that to Keith, but he spotted that very significant underbite. The finish of the denture does not look to be up to service standards. The palate looks unduly thick, but it does appear to be fully extended. The gingival margin amalgam seem well finished. There does seem to be gingival margin restorations in silicate cement on at least some of the upper incisors. All in all, the treatment looks more typical of NHS standards in the 50s and 60s rather than service standards. As regards placing identification numbers on dentures, I think this came in following the Stockport air disaster in the mid-60s. Before then, some dental technicians did put their own identification marks on the dentures they made by carving these into the upper plaster model on which the denture was processed. I had another reply from a dental technician who had practiced at the time, and he said, the amalgam filling on the lower right two, three, and four would suggest it was not from the RAF in the 1960s. We used synthetic fillings in that area because it was visible. We liked to look good in the RAF. The dentures do seem to be of poor quality. That particular denture shown is not great quality. The gingival margins are poor and the teeth look like NHS stock, probably WHW or TNR definitely not of a good standard. WHW and TNR are makes of cheap false teeth and the gingival margin which should be a fine line around the neck of the join where the tooth meets the gum looks like it was done with a bread knife. To a good technician that one looks awful. So that's the second person indicating that this definitely wasn't RAF standard and probably wasn't falsely standard. Finally a third person added He's got a hell of a lot of bone loss for someone in their late 20s. Bone loss usually occurs as a direct consequence of gum disease. And it's very surprising for someone of that age to have lost so much. But maybe back in those days, oral hygiene wasn't as good as today. So I think I might have answered my question. 
was the reason Fred's dentistry was never traced, because he was a member of the UK Armed Forces? Well, the answer to that is no, he wasn't. To my knowledge, there is no service number found in the acrylic that's ever been reported. Secondly, for what people are telling me, the standard of that plate was too low. But it's always interesting to talk to dentists about Fred because it raises a couple of other questions. Why did the police think at the time that this was expensive, sophisticated dentistry? Every single dentist I've ever spoke to has said the exact opposite. And secondly, where's the lower plate? What happened to that? There almost certainly was one, but it was never found with the body. So maybe that's another mystery to add to the story. But as regards Fred being part of the UK Armed Forces, well that's a bee I can take out of my bonnet and let it fly away. Because eliminating things is good. It narrows our field of view. Let's just concentrate on the things which are most likely. So we're going to carry on with our endeavours. But there's one thing I wanted to mention before we finished this podcast. I've decided I'm going to start a campaign. Seriously. I think we need the police to conduct isotopic analysis on Fred's teeth. That would give us a very clear indicator of where he grew up. Now they had a chance to do this before the head was reburied with the body and they didn't. But it's time they did. So I'm going to start agitating writing to the local media about this because there's an easy but potentially critical piece of information in their hands. It's available whenever they wish to find it out and they've not found it out in 50 years. An isotopic analysis as we know has been around for decades now and if it costs money I'll fundraise for it. But the time has come for us to start demanding this because that's one of the key ways Fred is going to be identified and I'll update you next time but until next time have a good one the mysterious case of Fred the Head is a GSE media production written produced and narrated by myself, Ken Davis.